Uh, it's going to be awesome. They want him now. They just don't realize what they're asking for. No, yeah. Titans fans are going to hate Bobby Slug. Um, <laughs> it's going to take like, three months, just... and they're going to switch on him so fast. Welcome in to the Hot Read Podcast for Wednesday, January 17th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on social media at Easton Freeze. I'm joined, joined as always, by producer JT. You can follow on social media at JT underscore Runky. JT, how are you? I'm good. I'm weathering this snowmageddon that we seem to be having here in Nashville pretty well, uh, <laughs> except for the fact that a certain really unfamiliar internet... territory for you, local yeah, right? Cincinnati um, man. Yeah, except my internet was cut out for about six hours today, so I didn't know if I was going to be able to be here for the show. Love that. Um, but now I'm here, and you know, I just have to say, like, this is it's always fun when it snows like this because it is so laughably hilarious that the way that this city reacts to snow. I I didn't, I didn't believe it that like when we were about to get six inches of snow, that everything was going to shut down and the world was going to explode, but it did. And it was very fun to watch. And I do appreciate the good laugh. It doesn't take six inches around here. It takes an inch and a half for everything to shut down. So we're, I mean, we're, this is shut down for a week territory. Um, And yeah, if you're not familiar with Nashville right now, or you don't live in the area, it snowed a lot here for by Nashville standards. I think, like the average annual snowfall is like 4.7 inches and Nashville got like seven um, and it's really cold outside. So it's not going anywhere. So people are panicking and it's ice and people who don't know how to drive. And so cars abandoned on the highway. It's a, it's a good time. Um, we're talking coaches today and we've got an awesome guest. Once again, joining us, friend of the show, James Foster. Let's go ahead and bring him in. Honestly, James is with us once again. You know him better from A to Z film room on YouTube. No flags film on Twitter. James, how's it going, man? How are you weathering the storm? It's going great, man. I uh, went out for a walk last night, built a fire. I love that. Snow is my, this is my favorite uh, weather. I wish I wish I got to experience it more often. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Um, That, that sounds like a a nice time just in the freezing cold, build, build a fire out in like a backyard or something, or did you just go into a random field or. Yeah, I've got, I've got a little uh, fire, like, I don't even know what you would call it, but fire pit. Yeah, kind of like a, a closed off fire pit. Took me so long to get it started because uh, it was, <laughs> like, yeah, filled with snow. But little, um, little wet. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Like, um, nice, like a nice challenge to get those, uh, get those brain gears working. Makes you feel like you're roughing it. Yeah, even though yeah. we we live in a very affluent area. Um, we're, we're talking about coaches today, and the Titans. Uh, in case you weren't aware, they need a new head coach, and they are asking all of the people, "Hey, would you like to be our head coach?" Let's talk to them. They've got ten guys that they have requested to interview, a number of which they have already interviewed via Zoom, which is a funny concept to me. Like, I would, I have so many questions about what a NFL head coach Zoom interview entails. Like, what's what's the what's the vibe? in in like what what are the questions is it similar to a normal job interview i tweeted that and i had somebody respond that like i like to think that they don't have the premium subscription so after 40 yeah. minutes it just times out and just right. might have to go like oh sorry bye you're gone um i have no idea if it's even a productive time to to do a zoom interview i don't i don't know i'd love to be a fly on the wall in that situation yeah like yeah i'm sure they're they're getting timed out Happen to send links back and forth. Are there right. have some of the have some of the interviews been 
in person, I assume. And then not yet. They can't, they can't be yet. Yeah. I think January 22nd is when you can start doing in-person interviews. So next week they'll start having those. And I don't actually know if they will do an, I'm guessing they won't do an in-person interview with all 10 candidates. I feel like the zoom interviews probably narrows it down to five or six. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but we are brought to you today, as always, before we dive headfirst into talking about these coaching candidates for the Titans by Boomba's Craft Pizza and Tap House. We love being sponsored by Boomba's because they've got really good food and really good drinks and a really great atmosphere for watching sports live. They've got three Middle Tennessee locations, one in East Nashville, one in Murfreesboro, and the location that JT and I go to in Spring Hill, just about 20, 25 minutes down I-65 if you're in the Nashville area. It's a phenomenal place to watch sports, grab a bite to eat and grab a drink. It really is great. And we are there each and every Thursday before Thursday night football during the season, but now just th- Thursdays at five 30 PM watching whatever is on. Cause there are still sports going on, even though Thursday night football is over and we do our live shows from there. So we'll be back there uh, this Thursday, assuming we don't have to abandon our cars on the side of the highway, getting down there. Um, we encourage you to come and join us. It's a great time and we look forward to it each and every week. So boom, boss crap, pizza and tap house, wherever you are in mill Tennessee, check out the location nearest to you and if you're joining us live today do us a couple of favors first of all if you're not watching on the youtube go watch on the youtube it's probably sports media on youtube find that account find this live stream and then in the comment section of this live stream you can be a part of today's conversation like d good and wyatt and kenneth already are appreciate you guys tuning in with us today on a midweek episode and while you're there hit subscribe it's free to you it's very helpful to us to get the subscriber numbers up so help us out hit subscribe we see the metrics folks we know how many of you are unsubscribed. And that is frankly really silly and disrespectful. You should subscribe. It's very easy for you to do and it's very helpful to us. So thank you for doing that for us. Um, before we dive headfirst into the coaching interviews, uh, one a quick announcement, a little housekeeping thing. Uh, very important prestigious award was won by this podcast. Uh, we were named the Sobros 2023 Sports Podcast of the Year, which frankly, the best part about that is that our buddy Zach Lyons doesn't get to win with either of the shows that he does um, and get to brag because it would have been insufferable, the bragging about how he's a multi-time award-winning podcast. So we we are glad that we kept him from doing that, but we are appreciative of everybody that voted for us for doing that. So that's cool. I think we'll get a plaque or something and then we'll make it our entire personality and and then be really insufferable in that way. Um, so thank you guys for voting on that. Um, I wanted to I didn't touch- realize I was coming on an award-winning uh, podcast. Show. This is in fact an award-winning podcast now. So the stakes are raised. Everything is more important. And um, this it's just, it's, it's a new level for us here. So um, we appreciate that award from the Sobros guys and Stoney and all of those folks over there that do great work. I, I wanted to touch real quick on the wild card week, excuse me, the super wild card weekend that was um, not a whole lot super about it. Five blowouts and then one nail biting, awesome narrative driving game with Jared Goff getting his redemption arc and Matt Stafford being an alien, but somehow the team's st- still being coached by a guy that can't manage the clock. A whole lot there. Um, what, if anything, like what was the number one thing that you found most surprising or like your biggest takeaway from this weekend, James in the super wildcard weekend, anything stand out to you? Yeah. A couple things. Uh, the first thing is that they need a new batch of commercials. This current <laughs> one is just, I can't yeah. do it. 
once I see the once I see the outlet start singing, singing outlet. Yep. Like yep. I, I almost never mute commercials or anything, but I was literally racing to the remote. This <laughs> we were having we were having a huge discussion about this because I'm right there with you. James. I think it's I a said, great commercial. I, said, I think it's a great. Is, this is the worst commercial I've ever is, seen oh, in my entire life. And we were so having bad. a big debate about this, but I'm right there with you. Like the commercials, I. I didn't think to bring it up, but now that you mention it, so it's been hang bad. on, do you also, think it's a bad it commercial or is it just annoying at this point? Both. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more <laughs> annoying okay. because of how many times you've seen it. Sure. I don't know how many they normally have in rotation, but it seems like they made like eight for this couple months, and right. they 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 don't spice it up. So I'm just hearing the same things over and over again i agree that there really annoying I, I i this is just especially insufferable group of they need they need to have a brand new batch like none of the commercials that are shown during the regular season should be allowed to be shown in the postseason it needs to be all new material i think that's yeah, a fair rule that's true um as far as what as far as what happened on the field um i think that the browns defense was probably the biggest surprise to me mm. although they it is it's really weird. They they will have they'll be like the best defense almost of all time, 90% of their games and then they'll right. have a few where they just can't stop anyone and there's constant coverage busts like uh Ronnie Hickman who's a, a UDFA uh, was starting at, at free safety for them had one of the worst individual performances I think from this weekend um Laramie Tunzel just shut down miles garrett uh so that how was, do you explain the home road splits for that defense because that's one of the strangest statistics from this season that i don't really like, i don't i don't get it yeah i don't that's usually the kind of thing that i would just chalk up to noise um until there was like a bigger sample size but it, it's right. a pretty it's a pretty clear split with them um you know i feel like Really, really the the one key thing like on tape that that's a, a differentiating factor for the Browns defense is basically just targeting anyone besides Denzel Ward uh, right. is going to lead to a lot more success. Like um, the the splits when he's on and off the field, I know are pretty extreme. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of just the normal home field advantage, I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, you know, what's, what's leading to that home and away split. So yeah, I think the Browns probably Browns defense was probably the biggest, uh, you know, negative surprise Eagles offense just is just disgusting. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> high school offense. Um, the biggest, the biggest, not just the performance, but the, like the, the coordination, like the plays is what you're referencing, right? Yeah. Like, I saw a lot of interesting yeah. screenshots, which is always a great reference on Twitter of like, the middle of the field. Let's just not touch it. Right. People always do those tweets where it's like a, a screenshot of a Madden play and it's like right. so-and-so's um, playbook or whatever. And it's always a extreme oversimplification, except yeah. with the Eagles offense. It's the tush push and then like two or three more plays. Well, um, hey, and we, we solved the tush push. Turns out it was Vita Vea. Who knew? Yeah, all you it's have to do is just grab but... Jalen Hurts' face mask and uh, pull right. him backwards. Yeah, but yeah, easy. getting having the nose tackle get um, underneath the center, like establish underneath. That's that seems to be the main uh, the main way to stop it. Um, 
And then like positive surprises, I guess, you know, Jordan Love just really over the past back half of the season, like when people do their quarterback tiers heading into next year, I don't know how you keep them out of the top five or seven. Yes. He's, he's been playing elite football. Better quarterback today, Stroud or Love? Ooh. Um, Because I think contract-wise, you go Stroud because you don't have to pay him. For well, yeah, I mean, if you're saying who would you rather just, have, right? But better, I mean, I take that out. Have, Stroud would be number one in the NFL in the whole league. Yes, he, but take that out of it. Just better player. Um, you know, if I was doing a quarterback tier, they would be in the exact. They would be on the exact same row, sure. and it would, it would just depend the ordering. I might go with. It's so hard, man. It's so it's tight. So I, hard. I, I might. I might like go with Stroud gun to my head, but they're especially because I think projecting to next year, there's probably uh, there's probably going to be a bigger next step for CJ Stroud than Jordan love. Right. Um, but so I was going to ask if you, if you had to, if I told you one of them, like kind of takes a step back and struggles a bit next year, who you think it would be? I would, I would think it's more likely to be love than Stroud personally but maybe not i don't know it could be the thing with love though is that his weapons and surrounding core are only going to get better um, yes yeah it's like so the young. youngest group of pass catchers ever and free and, and a lot of a lot of his like he he didn't play that well uh the first half of the season but a lot of that was on uh the people he was throwing the ball to like if if they just if they would just catch the ball, I think that there would have been a lot less extreme negativity towards Jordan Love early in the season. Um, but he himself also took a major step forward over the back half. It's so funny how it went from in the early season, a punchline to now it's like a scary thing. Like in week seven, yeah. it was like, well, he's got the youngest group of weapons around him in the league. And now it's like, oh God, he's got the youngest group of weapons right. around him in the league. Um, I, is it lazy not to get too much on a tangent here because we are going to talk about the Titans' coaching uh, position? Is it is it lazy to say it's really hard to watch Jordan Love and not feel like there are times when he's doing like a good Aaron Rodgers impression? Like I see, it feels like he's done so much watching Aaron over the years and like being around Aaron that he. The way that he operates, sometimes I'm like, oh my god, that's that's just him again. They just got another one. Yeah, it's the flexibility of his, um, you know, release points and the ability to to not always have perfectly tight textbook footwork and right. still um, get rid of the ball accurately. There's definitely some similarities there, and I'm sure um, all the time that they spent together. Um, is uh playing a factor in that we'll just have to see what weird off the field like tick jordan love picks that, up I, I was literally about to ask like what's the thing is he gonna be like is, is he gonna be really involved in like middle eastern politics like what's the thing that's gonna really turn people off with him yeah he has he's to gonna, follow in line somewhere he's probably gonna be like a flat earther i guess unless okay I mean, Full Kyrie Irving. On that? yeah yeah, My, yeah I, I don't think aaron's planted his flag on that corner so that's open that's available um, yeah, we'll have to see because you know it's coming. Okay, last wild card weekend question, and then I promise we'll move on. Um, 
which team are you like, which team's future are you more depressed about? If you're a fan, the Eagles or the Cowboys, first of all, should they fire their coaches? And second of all, which is like a bleaker future? Um, okay. So I'll answer the second question first. I think the, the more bleak future is probably the Cowboys. Really? It's it's weird because neither of them are like Eagles are old man. talent. Um, you know they they yeah. each have they each have certain parts of their roster that are aging. Like the Cowboys are going to lose Tyron Smith either next sure. year or you know the year after that. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is getting up there in age. Stephon mm-hmm. Gilmore, uh, Zach Martin, and then you know like Brandon Cooks, and then the Eagles obviously have Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, um, Fletcher Cox. So like a lot there's, of that defense, there's, yeah. there's parts of their roster that are aging, but they've also drafted. Kevin Blyer, well. hello. Yeah, although I wouldn't even include include him as like a high level contributor for them. But, <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, but yeah, uh, th- they've both drafted well, but they've got you know key parts of their roster that they're going to have to replace. I think for the Cowboys, I hardly ever do like can they win the big game analysis which I think is just really lazy, but, but with like McCarthy, Cowboys, it's like they might be cursed, man. Like I don't, yeah, <laughs> I would yeah. with the Eagles. Like if, if they actually, let's say next year, the Eagles um, get off to a similar start, but they're actually playing well. Right. I would be as an Eagles fan, I would be fully willing to buy into the Eagles and like enjoy the season and, and, you know, believe they could win the Super Bowl. With the Cowboys, it's like whatever they do, it's it's a wake me up in in January type of situation. That, yes, uh, that's what I was going to say. You have to, as a fan, you have to feel so defeated because there's so many depressed. Like I, I saw, no team has ever won twelve or more games in three straight seasons and not been to a conference championship game. And then yeah. another another one is that in the entire history of the Cowboys organization, there have been six seasons in which they have won twelve or more games in the regular season, and zero games in the playoffs and three of those six instances have been Dak and McCarthy. Like it's all they do is just win a ton of games and beat up on bad teams and then fold in January, Um, which I think is really entertaining and fun, but yeah. And to James point right there about these two teams getting a lot older, like personally, I think most people would want to back Howie Roseman and being able to evaluate talent over Jerry Jones and, and that operating what? group. <laughs> yeah. um, Cause like you said, Jason Kelsey, a, a lot of these guys are getting up there in age, but I mean, they have some dudes that they've drafted in the past couple of years, like last year with Tyler Steens out of Alabama. Like they have guys waiting in the wings that could develop. I think another one also that has kind of gone under the radar Isaiah Rogers is on that team. If he somehow gets out of his gambling suspension, like that team, that's oh, a piece that they this. add right. to the secondary. Like I'm, I'm backing Howie Roseman over whatever Jerry Jones evil plan is next. Like, I agree that that's where Acquire I'm Bill Belichick right profit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll um, let's... Me, and I, I would just say, as far as like firing Nick Sirianni, um, I, I think it seems, it seems premature to, to fire him. On paper. Uh, Nick, Nick Wright made the point where it's like, if you think about the rest of the teams and 
yeah, easy. Yes. Um, yep. Ask yourself the question about if if we fired our head coach, would anyone else want to hire him? And the answer is no. Then why mm-hmm. should he be your head coach? And like that's true. I don't. If uh, if Nick Sirianni gets fired, I don't know who's hiring him. Even though well, and, and Kevin Clark made a similar point. He said the Eagles have fired better coaches than Nick Sirianni. Mm-hmm. Although like in in recent fired Andy Reid. Yeah, like Andy Reid was a better coach. Doug Peterson, I think, is and was a better coach. Um, so Nick Sirianni, get ready to learn Maction, bud. Um, okay, let's let's talk about the Titans coaching search. They uh they need a new coach, and that is something that's gonna get ramped up. I, I think historically the coaching hires start to happen like late January or early February. I know last year they did, like the first one happened in the last week of January, and then they trickled out from there. Um, as we said, the Titans have requested to hire 10 guys, and we're going to talk about all of them a little bit today. I, I want to, before we dive into the individual guys, I want to run this take by you, James, and then get your general opinion on like the the analysis scene on coaches in, in a coaching hire. Here, Here's how I feel, and I think it's a little bit different from most folks in our shoes. I'm much, much more interested in the type of coach that the Titans hire than who the actual guy is. And the reason why is just because every year we hear about who's a good hire and who's a bad hire. And it's all this definitive language. And then, you know, a guy that's supposed to be a home run turns out to be a bum. And then, you know, you get a, a popularly mocked guy like Dan Campbell. And then he turns out to be, you know, Dan Campbell that, that happens a lot. I think fit within an existing team structure and culture and relationship building skills and all these intangible things, they matter so much more to me at least that I find trying to decide if a guy will be or won't be good on day one of their coaching tenure, largely a waste of time, a little like a waste of my time. At least I, it certainly gets clicks. It's just not really my thing. I want to see the things I'm interested in. I want to see the direction the team leadership wants to go based on the kind of coach they hire. Like I want to speak to the guy, you know, who get, who actually gets the job, find out what he's like as a man, what he's like as a leader, I want to evaluate the first couple of decisions they make and the coaching staff hires that he makes in his first off season. That's the kind of thing that I think people should be more focused on with a new coach coming to town. The specific name and their resume matters less than I think a lot of people tend to think. Does that resonate at all with you? What's your opinion on you? If you don't get this guy, you failed. And if you do, if you hire this guy, then it's a disaster. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, um, of any kind of analysis that I or like other media people do uh, surrounding the NFL, head coach and general manager hires are probably the least like just solid opinions like that I'll ever have it. Right. There, there's just there's no way of knowing. Honestly. It's a lot of guesswork. Um, it's you know it's it's not a kind of situation where like I'll, I have my opinions on on how. I, on my preferences for the different Titans head coaching candidates, but I'm not really dug into any of those takes. And, um, I, you know, like I put out a, a tier list on, on Twitter. I could just as easily see the actual best head coaches being the reverse order of that outside yeah. of Brian Johnson. That, that would shock me, but Hey, he like, it still could happen. Um, <laughs> the guy you, you but, called it an elementary offensive coordinator earlier. Yeah. I, I believe that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the issue is that a lot of times we we tend to just evaluate these people as coordinators and evaluating how good an offensive coordinator is, 
that alone is still difficult. It's it's hard to separate the players um, and the execution from the scheme and the play calling, but coordinating and play calling that might be 30, 40% of their actual job as a head coach, your general manager and CEO, you have to be able to relate to different people that are, um, you know, come from different backgrounds are getting paid different amounts of money. You have to be able to, um, you know, have, have a good sense for all the intricacies of what's going on in your organization and, and have those organizational skills. Um, there's also like some team building player evaluation, um, skills that, that come into that. Like you can look at Brandon Staley, um, and like the JC Jackson move, I think was probably, that was, that was a, a signing that he ha- played a, a major role in and probably the most, um, consequential single move of his tenure as LA's head coach. Uh, if like, if they had a, a quality press man corner, um, I think that the defense would have been a lot better and probably could have bought him some more time, for example. Um, so yeah, there, there's so many other elements that go into it where just evaluating a, a an offensive or defensive coordinator from the outside just have really no insight into uh, into all of their leadership and management skills. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, that being said, let's talk about how each guy is a good or bad hire. Yeah, um, we're, <laughs> we are. We're going to dive into each guy, um, but I, I, I'm glad that we got that baseline on the table because I, I completely agree with everything that you said. And I think that um, it, it's fun to, to like try to rank these things and, and tier these things and, and talk about who is and isn't going to be a coordinator. But it's really a, a good coach, but it's really important to realize there's so much more that goes into it than their resume and how they were as a coordinator and all of that. Okay. Um, we've got some, some commenters here. Like Joe, Joey says that listening to Amy's comments after firing Vrabel, uh, when asked about a timing for trade, it sounded like the Titans already had a candidate. They really like all signs point to Slowick. I would presume. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I understand what you're saying that, that maybe they had a guy in mind. Um, if they do, they certainly are not letting it keep, keep, keep them from, evaluating a bunch of different folks and talking to a bunch of different folks, which I think is good process. Kenneth says, I need James to explain some coordinator requests that are just baffling to me. Brian Johnson, Thomas Brown, Dan Quinn, Mike Kafka, Ick. Uh, I think James is about to justify maybe three of those. Um, so let's, let's dive into these individual guys. And I know James, you put out a tier list of the guys that got a, a lot of flack from some of our favorite local media members um the other day and so let's start from that baseline and if you have any adjustments we can we can hear those now and then we can talk about these guys in order but your tier you, list you give my adjustments before or after you sure. read the tier. go ahead tell us the current list tell us the current list all right so i would say tier one would be ben johnson sure um, and I had doubted in parentheses because it seems like the Titans are not really players for him, but, sure. um, that would be number one option for me. Um, I think Brian Callahan would also be in tier one. Um, I would say tier two is, uh, I would make a, a, I would add a tier, make tier two, Mike McDonald. He was originally in tier one. Um, just because he's a defensive, uh, you know, defensive coordinator, I think right. the whole thing with like 
wanting to uh, hire an offensive guy so you have that continuity no matter how successful the offense gets. I agree with that. I also think, though, it's like it's a lot easier said than done. Like it, it's easy to make a bad hire with an offensive head coach and sure. a good, a good defensive coach is still better than a bad offensive coach. Sure. Um, but yeah, Mike McDonald would be alone in tier two, um, tier three. I would probably go, um, Antonio Pierce and Aaron Glenn. Okay. Um, I've heard like so many a lot of a lot of the um a lot of my opinions on on people's leadership ability and stuff like that is is going to be just like secondhand information and quotes that mm-hmm. people give to the media and stuff so it's it's not uh you know it's a little questionable but i've heard so many great things about aaron glenn um yeah. in that place so um yeah i i'd put them there and then i think mike kafka would probably be uh Mike Kafka would be probably at the top of tier four and then Bobby Sloak at the bottom of tier four. Um, People then, are going to have a lot of questions about tier four. I'm looking forward to talking about tier four. <laughs> and then tier five, this is the big adjustment. Um, yeah. I don't know what I was doing with Dan Quinn in tier three, like even, even <laughs> setting aside, even like setting aside the playoff thing. Um, yeah. When I like when I looked back at the tier list like an hour or so after I tweeted, I'm like, I don't know why I put Dan. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Dan Quinn, uh, Dan Quinn down in tier five with, um, I think alone in tier five, and then tier six would be Brian Johnson. <laughs> Brian I'll, Johnson would, in his own tier. I would still take Dan Quinn over Brian Johnson, like snap of a finger. That's crazy. That's I mean, like I, it's not crazy, but it, it's. I agree, but it feels ridiculous. Um, let's start at the bottom and work our way up. Let's get the negative guys out of the way because I feel like you'll have more to talk about uh, with the guys that you actually like. And it is important to note, like you said, a, a lot of your opinion is going to be based on the actual X's and O's, like what these guys did as coordinators and less to do with their leadership ability and all of those intangibles. But, you know, you got to start at, at ground one. Can you coach or can you not? So at the very bottom, let's discuss Brian Johnson. I don't think anybody's going to have any issue after watching that playoff game at the very least with Brian Johnson being all the way down here at the bottom. Um, I guess it is a fair question to wonder how much flack he deserves for like the toxicity and the total and utter collapse of the Eagles this year. I don't think it's unfair to ask how much of a responsibility he has for the, like you said, really pedestrian, really elementary and bad scheme that 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 offense was running and the deficiencies there especially down the stretch um he's a guy that you know he's worked under nick sirianni uh he was previously jalen hurts quarterback coach um he was a former quarterback worked uh, coached under kyle whittingham and dan mullen at utah and florida we can be quick on him what what are the reasons why he's a, a bad candidate the worst candidate actually yeah, I mean it's it's mainly just a stagnant offensive scheme. Um, doesn't really attack the middle of the field. Rarely uses motion. I think um, I know they were last in the league in motion rate, but it was by a significant margin. Um, I would be interested to see what he looks like with a quarterback that's capable of going under center because having to be in shotgun, basically every snap just limits your 
especially early down playbooks so much. Yes. And so I think that he is kind of coaching with one hand tied behind his back, but um, one of the least inspiring offensive uh, schemes and, and, you know, play callers that I've seen in recent memory. And so, yeah, he would have to, he would have to blow me away in the interviews for me to like give him fifth place in, in the coaching, uh, you know, in the, in the coaching search, I guess. Um, so yeah, that, that would not be a serious consideration for me. And one of the few that, one of the few that I would be pretty, uh, pretty upset about. Okay. Let's, let's move on to the next guy who you have close to the same level of at the bottom and, and the performance that he and his team put up this weekend certainly did not help from a narrative standpoint. His, his head coach candidacy, even though he's got a number of requests, Dan Quinn Cowboys defensive coordinator. Um, he's he, he'd be a retread. He's, he's been a coach for a long time. He's been a head coach before uh, JT, very familiar with Dan Quinn, the head coach during his Atlanta days. Um, it feels like, especially the Shanahanites have had him figured out since like, I don't know, 2016. Um, and they, I don't know if you like have ever picked up on this. Shanahan had a, a thing today in a presser he was doing for their game upcoming where he kind of winked and nodded at the fact that I, this guy blows. I, I love playing Dan Quinn because he's so easy to play against, um, yeah, which so. is funny. But like at this point, I think it's borderline bullying because it's just, it's so often that they do this. Uh, can you make a case for why Dan Quinn would be worth giving another head coaching opportunity besides the fact that for a minute there as the Cowboys defensive coordinator, they were awesome, even though they had, you know, awesome players. No. Um, okay. The next guy that we, <laughs> <laughs> um, any case that you made that you make for Dan Quinn as head coach would just, you would just end up at the conclusion of we should have just kept Mike Vrabel. Um, yes. Yes. So yes yeah. Yes. The, the biggest thing with him schematically is they they've all year had no answer for motion. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I bet if you looked at like defensive success rate on plays where the offense uses motion, I bet Dallas would rank near the bottom of the league. Um, and a just weird management of of the middle of their defense like they don't have great linebackers but they 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 just play with so much light personnel like they've got Marquise Bell who's a converted safety that's playing linebacker for them and like they'll play um they'll play like nickel to 12 personnel and just get gashed in the run game like they do it all they've done it all year um, part of that is probably, um, limitations of the roster, but, uh, hasn't shown great adaptability on that front. Okay. Um, I, I thought, again, I don't think anybody really has an issue with that. He, those two are, cause you know, we, we started all of this talking about how, you know, I have, I don't want to rush to judgment on any of these hires. I'm, I'm willing to give guys that were less popular candidates, um, a, a chance. That being said, I would, I'd have a hard time with those two. The rest of these guys, the, the next eight that we're going to discuss, I genuinely would be willing to hear them out if they were the higher. Um, my favorite tier that we're going to talk about here is tier four. And, and like you said, you've got Bobby Slowick and Mike Kafka in this tier. Um, let's start with the guy that a lot of people I think are too low on, 
Um, Mike Kafka, offensive coordinator this past year for the Giants. The biggest resume concern with him is just experience. Didn't get into coaching until 2016. Um, and that was a, as a grad assistant at, at Northwestern. He's cons, a NFL. cons, you can't practice during the day. <laughs> exactly exactly uh he's a vampire and he's got a funny look on his face at all times uh he's a former nfl quarterback he's worked under some really fantastic coaches like he's worked with andy reed and um, eric the in kansas city uh he was the quarterback's coach with the chiefs um with a you know a pretty good quarterback passing game coordinator before then um then joined brian dable with the giants I, I don't know if you have, have you read anything this week about that? I think it was one article article in particular about the, the behind the scenes turmoil. Apparently Dable's like kind of a toxic jerk. And yeah. I, do you have any thoughts on, on that situation for folks that don't know? Apparently like Dable constantly, he's an offensive guy too. He's constantly questioning Mike Kafka over the headset and like blaming him for losing games in the game and telling him when to run and not to run yeah, and he criticizing like, his every move. Tell him Weird. to run and then Bad. get mad at him uh, when he runs for the run that he called or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I think that a lot of, I, it seemed like he did a good job elevating um, what was a bad offensive roster in 2022. Yeah. And in 2023, a lot of that magic kind of wore off. Uh, that's a situation with Mike Kafka where you've got, uh, an offensive coordinator and then an offensive minded head coach. And it's just really difficult from the outside to, um, you know, figure out who to credit and who to blame uh, mm. for, for different things uh, that, that, you know, go wrong because uh, I don't really know exactly the breakdown of their roles. Um, so yeah, Mike Kafka, I think that, I would say Mike Kafka and probably um, Brian Callahan from a, from a scheme standpoint are the two that I have the least, uh, you know, real solid insight into um, obviously what it like, we'll right. get to Callahan, but he's not actually uh, calling plays. So uh, yeah, I think that, I think Mike Kafka, um, what he did in 2022 kind of had me my starting point with him was, was generally positive, but um, like, for example, I still, I think that I would prefer Mike Vrabel to Mike Kafka. Um, Hmm. So we've we've not yet reached the point where you can justify the firing of Mike Vrabel. Well, justify is a different word. I think with, with Mike Vrabel, like I would have him probably as the 13th to 15th best head coach. Right. And my, if I was going to rationalize the firing of Mike Vrabel, it's that he's not really elevating uh, the roster and uh, you could do better than him. So if you're going into it with the philosophy of like, there's a chance that the next guy we hire is going to be worse, but uh, to get where we want to go, we want one of these like true game changers that's in the top five. And so we're just going to like swing for the fences. Uh, that would mm-hmm. be kind of my rationalization for it. And so merely the really fact taking that, a big next step, the fact right. that all of these guys are unknown, um, except for like Dan Quinn and, and retreads, um, 
the fact that they're unknown and we don't actually know uh, how good of head coaches they are, that alone gives them a little bit of edge over Mike Vrabel, who I think is kind of a known quantity at this point. Right. Um, okay. Well, we're going to talk about Bobby Slowick here in just a second, which I think most people would take issue with your opinion on him because he's very popular amongst Titans fans, especially after this past weekend. Before we do, again, if you're with us live and joining uh, mid-show, thanks for tuning in. We're talking Titans coaches today. If you are not watching on the YouTube, go on over to Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. Find this live stream in the comment section of that live stream is where you can be a part of today's conversation, like so many of you already are. Alex Titan says he just got here. Not sure if you guys spoke about Nick Sirianni as a head coach. Y'all think Philly cans him, and if so, how would he stack up as a Titans candidate? I'll give you the 10-second rundown. We did talk about him. We do think he gets fired, uh, and he shouldn't be a candidate. Glad I could help you out there. Um, okay. Bobby Sloick, offensive coordinator for the Texans. Uh, first year offensive coordinator for the Texans, formerly with San Francisco. Well, in what capacity was he coaching with San Francisco? Do we, I, don't, I don't know this off the top of my head. I think he know. was a defensive guy, and then they moved him to offense. I know he has okay. experience uh, on both sides both of the places. ball. Yeah. Okay, so this is his first year as an offensive coordinator. Obviously, a Shanahanite worked in San Fran with Rand Carthen at the time. Um, he learned under Kyle Shanahan. Um, he was a member of the the infamous oft talked about on national broadcasts Washington 2010 coaching staff that produced Shanahan and McVeigh and Mike McDaniel and Matt with all the play callers. Um, He's become very, very popular because of the year that he's had turning around, helping turn around the Texans and uh, developing CJ Stroud and turning that offense into a, a team that can embarrass the one of the best defenses we've ever seen on national television and wildcard weekend. It's it's one it's in a microcosm. One of my favorite things about the way that we talk about these guys, the way that a a wildcard playoff game. It has people serious folks be like, well, he was fourth in my rankings, but now he's yeah. now he's first. It's like, really? We're going to we're going to pretend one game is OK. Gotcha. Um, that's good process. I like to uh, think that Amy Adams Strunk had all of the <laughs> all of the wild card games like on a ticker, just like up on a projector. <laughs> right. right. Were, she had someone she had someone physically moving them up, uh, up and down the coaching on, search play board play. as they scored more points. Yes, I mean there are there are folks seriously in the media who I generally respect who in one breath two weeks ago will be like it is bad and reactive that Amy Adams Strunk fired John Robinson after the Eagles game and then she fired Mike Gribble because they got beat by Houston twice this year. That's bad process. And then they're like, by the way, here's my definitive rankings of the head coaches. Bobby Slowick up four spots based on his wild card performance. Um, maybe let's reassess. Let's let's take a step back and look at how we're doing things a little bit there. Uh, he he has had a really nice year though, and so like when you look at the totality of the season, it's not just this one. I'm not saying this one game is not a reflection of how he's done all year. I think not to steal your thunder here, your big pushback on him as a head coach, besides the experience thing, is the fact that he's been working with some pretty like his toolbox is not bare. He's got some really nice chess pieces he's been working with on that Texans offense. Explain why you wouldn't consider him a top tier option for the Titans. So I think that he is a uh, solid top half of the league offensive coordinator. Um, sure. Like I don't think he should be on the hot seat in Houston. I would, I would keep him for another year. Um, I think that the supporting cast. So let's, let's start with the, the offensive coordinator aspect of it. And then we can get to the other part. Um, I think that 
the idea of of him turning around Houston's offense and like um, creating it, uh, you know, forming it into this elite unit is is kind of overblown and doesn't really match up with the numbers or what I've watched all year. I was actually Mm. very surprised that uh, there was so much pushback to Bobby Sloak in tier four. I didn't realize he he was like a top thought of as a top tier candidate. Um, You know, he, it's also, it's weird to me, the negativity around Tim Kelly uh, when like the Titans ranked 16th in EPA per play. And then the Texans ranked 15th in EPA per play. And, (laughs) and all of a sudden like Slowick is, is going to be this uh, major upgrade when he has a a franchise left tackle. He's got a much better quarterback. He's got much better receivers. I mean, Tank Dell and, and, um, and Nico Collins are better than anything. The Titans had, Um, you know, I think, even outside of Laramie Tunzel, uh, better uh, better offensive line all around, especially when they're healthy. Shaq Mason had a an Low all bar, pro yes. caliber league uh, caliber year, in my opinion. Um, and when you watch them on tape, it's it's just it's a different situation from someone like Mike McDaniel or Kyle Shanahan. It's an offensive coordinator that's calling good plays, but not necessarily pushing the envelope or, you know, really innovating, which is fine. Like there's, there's very few uh, offensive masterminds that are reinventing the wheel every week. Um, But, you know, it's, it's like play action, deep post shots. Um, You know, they, they, I like, especially I like in the, uh, the playoff matchup that they got away from forcing so many early down runs, which I don't, I don't necessarily think is just a universal blanket, like never run on early down, early downs. I'm a lot I was more, about to say Titans fans are in for a rude awakening with the run, run, run pass situation. Oh yeah. Day. Oh, they're going to hate it. It's um, going to be awesome. No, but they want him now. They just don't realize what they're asking for. No. Yeah. Titans fans are going to hate Bobby Slowick. Um, <laughs> it's going to take like, three months just, and they're going to switch on him so fast. Like, yeah. I think, I think something that we probably should have, like mentioned when we when we started this conversation is that regardless of what happens at head coach and regardless of whether or not they should have fired Mike Vrabel, mm-hmm. their number one and probably number two problems still exist, which is offensive line and receiver. So yes. um, no matter who gets hired, they're, they're going to face the same problem, which is that they don't have anyone who is starting quality at either tackle spot. So, well, they may, they may, it depends on how the offseason goes. They may, well, no, I, I just mean like when they, when they get hired, they won. Yes. Yeah. They, that issue is not going to be resolved. Totally. So, yeah. It's, it's on, it's on the, uh, the front office then to, to fix yeah. that. But even like for next year, we've seen Peter Skaronsky, who, uh, the, the day one all pro, uh, Peter Skaronsky struggle as a rookie, which should be expected for rookie offensive linemen. So yeah. even if you take Joe Alt, Olu Fashanu, uh, it's not a given that they're just going to come in and immediately be playing at their peak potential. So, uh, gotta, gotta say that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's, a, a, is it a fair solid... to say that it'll, it'll, they'll immediately be better than what the Titans, I mean, like good and better are different, but yeah. Yeah. I think at one tackle spot, I would, I would assuming they take a tackle in the first round. I think that right. one tackle spot, uh, fair to expect them to be better than they were this year. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think Bobby Sloak is a solid offensive coordinator. 
Uh, I think that the um, the playoff game was definitely the best game that he called. Um, but you know, even within that, it's 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 weird. Like that touchdown that they threw to Dalton Schultz, where they mm-hmm. fake the flood concept, like roll out. They get the every line. every defender moving one way, and then Schultz like, leaks the other way. That one, right? Like that's yeah. the exact same touchdown that was will levis's fourth touchdown against uh the falcons it's 10 wi yep play call except um the titan will levis was in pistol um and tim kelly's a bum like that's the difference obviously right so like yeah i i, I actually i see uh bobby Sloak and tim kelly as very like in very similar tiers of play callers is like solid mm-hmm. good not great play callers um should definitely definitely deserving of an offensive coordinator spot and uh, capable of, of leading a, a top half of the league offense. And even better if you, if you get, if you give them, um, you know, good personnel. Um, Can I play devil's advocate on that real, just one thing yeah. real quick. It, it, I'm not even sure that, like, I fully think this, but a lot of folks will point to the success in recent years of you get a head coach. That's a, a Shanahanite that has experience putting young or sometimes limited quarterbacks in situations to succeed like a little bit of a training wheels situation. Is there, is there a benefit to having that, that guy in the room as opposed to a Tim Kelly with a young quarterback, like Will Levis, who doesn't necessarily need the training wheels, but you you have some confidence that they're going to set them up for success out of the gate. Who no, no. who would be the limited quarterback in this situation that Bobby Sloak has experience putting the training wheels on? I Brock Purdy, Jimmy G. Okay, yeah, I mean, I think that if we're if we're talking about if we're separating it from Houston and talking about uh, San Francisco. Um, and, and to be clear, I don't mean Sloak in particular. I just mean the, the general Shanahan ethos like the 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 brain trust has had a good all like all of them the idea of shanahan offense has done i think the best job of putting limited quarterbacks in positions to succeed just to make that clear yeah i think you disagree with that yeah i would disagree that it's as automatic as a lot of people make it out to be like i think that todd downing's offense has a lot of similarities to the shanahan scheme like um especially kind of the 2016 to 2018 version of it. The thing with Kyle Shanahan is that he's uh, and what sets him apart is it's it's not that he just has the good scheme. It's that he's he's constantly reinventing himself and recreating it, adapting to, uh, to how other teams are countering it. And he has the foresight to know that teams are watching film all off season and coming up with ways to, uh, you know, to slow him down. So he, he knows has the, you know, expectation of, of what they're going to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that someone like Todd Downing that, uh, you know, majors in a lot of the same concepts um, and would theoretically, you know, be an offense that's kind of quarterback friendly. We, we've seen people like that not have success. Uh, I do think though that the Shanahan scheme is, just as a default option, a, a good place to go uh, for a head coaching candidate. And it's historically had a pretty good success rate uh, for head coaches. Right. Um, so that, so that's, you know, that's my 
thing with with the uh, coordinating side of it, which is okay. that like I don't, you know, I, I don't want to like paint myself into like I don't want to. You're not saying he's a bad coordinator. Or, yeah, that he's like a bad offensive coordinator. It's just, uh, it's Maybe not, not elevating like ben Johnson where it's not something like Ben Johnson where. I, I think he runs a truly innovative scheme and like that's an offensive mind that I want on the coaching staff. Uh, Bobby Slowick is kind of just like, like calling the good passing concepts and stuff. I, I think, I think from a passing game, standpoint, he is a lot better than uh, running the ball. Um, but then there's also, you know, he's one of the few head coaches where or head coaching candidates where there's been some, um, information that's kind of come out about like his, how he projects into a bigger role. Uh, Teron Davenport uh, said on, I think Stillman's show uh, mentioned a couple times that, um, you know, he had heard that, that Shanahan uh, or that uh, Slowick wasn't ready, um, you know, yeah. didn't have full buy-in um, and that there was kind of some people pulling in different directions uh on uh on the texans uh in the texans organization when i got when i tweeted that uh list out i actually got multiple people like that kind of ha- would know um that, flex. flex that no not like not direct sources just like <laughs> people said like hey, I, you know, I had cal mcnair in my dms yeah man um i had i had cj stroud in my dms saying right uh, bobby Sloke was trash it's all me this guy doesn't do anything yeah, I, I'm not like a sources guy, but just a lot of the smoke seems to be uh seems to be kind of concerning on that front. So okay. okay. slow could be in my tier four and um wouldn't surprise it would if I had to if I had to guess, I would say he's Houston's offensive coordinator next year. But so if it's your choice, Kafka or Slowick, are you choosing Kafka? Um or are you just would, retaining Mike Vermont? I would flip a coin. Okay. And then probably choose Kafka. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, let's move to tier three. I, I, I didn't realize this. I don't think you mentioned um, uh, the most, maybe I think the most recent guy on the list, Thomas Brown out of Carolina. Was he on your list? Uh, so he, yeah, that wasn't announced when I did my list and I Where haven't slot him. I haven't uh, done enough research on him to, okay, fair uh, enough. to give an answer on that. I do. Okay. I do know that, just the results from this year, I don't think tell the, the whole picture with him, tell the whole story with him. So uh, I agree. I would, you know, keep an open mind instead of just like looking at, at this year's Panthers record. There's a, a lot more that went into that situation. Okay. So if I, if I'm rem- remembering correctly here, your tier three is Aaron Glenn and AP. Is that the next guys that you have on your list? Yep. Okay. All right. So um, let's start with the guy least likely, I think, to be the Titans head coach, because I think he's going to be the Raiders head coach. Antonio Pierce, um, you know, he's got some of his star players putting out public ultimatums that if the Raiders don't hire this guy to be the full time head coach, then I'll explore a trade, um, which I think is hilarious. And I do think if you have to consider um, Antonio Pierce coming to the Titans, a tier three option, if it's Antonio Pierce in a package deal with Max Crosby, Maybe that then becomes a an A tier option. Um, but that being said, I think he's going to be the Raiders head coach. It sounds like he's going to be the Raiders head coach. If he isn't for some reason, 
Um, if they, I don't know, land Harbaugh or get horny for Belichick or whatever they do to get away from Antonio Pierce, what is it about him that is intriguing to you? He, you know, he's he's not got a ton of coaching experience, and he's not it's like as far as I'm aware, he's not a big X's and O's guy. The, the Raiders ownership themselves have been on the record this year talking about how they really asked him when he stepped in to be the interim head coach this year to be a CEO, to be a delegator, um, to not necessarily be like a traditional head coach, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but um, what is it about him that you think makes him a tier three option? Yeah, it's, it's basically what you said that, you know, you can't, I think it's a situation where you can't deny the results and, um, you know, just the buy-in and how, um, how the players seem to rally around him. Um, you know, I think that that could be an interesting option as more of the CEO leader of men type. I think, you know, he could be anything. He could even be Mike Vrabel. Um, like, but that it could be a boat. Like that is where I think that's where I think the Vrabel line is to me. Okay. Okay. Where, uh, with, with Antonio Pierce, you're probably, you're kind of like making a, a lateral step, um, relatively of like, you know, similar tier options in mm. my opinion. Okay. Well, like we said, he's, I'll be, I, I'm at the point where I'll be shocked if he's not the Raiders next head coach. Um, so we can move on. And if, if he's, if he's not, then we'll talk more about him in the future. Aaron Glenn, also a defensive guy, also in this third tier for you, Lions defensive coordinator. He's a guy that at first, a lot of folks were shocked by this because he, you know, just on the surface, he's the guy that oversees the side of the ball that a lot of people think is the reason the lions aren't a true super bowl contender. Although that defense has gotten better under him, in my opinion. And I think that he's playing with some pieces that are not super sufficient. And I, when I watch it and I'm, I'm so much less of an X's and O's guys than you, but when I try um, to be, and I, I, I watch the tape or I, I watch the broadcast, it feels like even though that defense is limiting, he still has some pitches that he can throw where you're like, okay, you can work with that. There's some, there's some ingenuity there. There's some creativity there. Um, he's a former player. Um, he's got a lot of the big thing for him from a leader of men standpoint is I think it was the NFL PA ran their poll with all the players of their favorite coordinators. And he was the number one most loved coordinator by his own players. Um, which I thought on the surface was very funny when that came out that all the, the lions defenders were like, our defense kind of sucks sometimes, but it's not the coordinator's fault, which implies it's, it's their fault. Uh, what are your thoughts on Aaron Glenn as a potential candidate? Um, I think a lot of similar things um, to say about Aaron Glenn as um, Antonio Pierce or sure. Mike Vrabel, uh, just as someone that I think is not a guarantee, but, pretty sure bet that going to get buy-in from the players um, and you're going to have that locker room chemistry and um, all the intangible stuff. Um, I've heard so many good, like just good reviews. Um, it's, it's always hard when people are giving public quotes about a coach because they're almost never going to be negative And you almost, you have to like differentiate between, extreme over the top positivity and just kind of tepid positivity. Right. Um, right. But I, the, the reactions and, and just um, opinions of Aaron Glenn seem to be so overwhelmingly positive from people in that organization. Um, 
um, Mike Payton, who works at A to Z Sports, he was saying that he actually thinks Aaron Glenn is a better head coaching candidate than Ben Johnson. Um, Hello. Is he, is this this the guy that covers the Lions? He covers the Lions, yeah. Okay. Um, And then I think uh, as far as his defensive scheme, last year, last year they were really undermanned in the secondary. And I felt like at times he was trying to do too much with, like, especially early in the year, they were trying some crazy coverage rotations and, like, you know, getting into cover two, like having guys travel 15 yards across the field, like just trying to do way too much to overcompensate. Um, But it was also something where no matter what they tried, their secondary just couldn't cover. Like when they would run man coverage, um, you know, Amani Arawurie and Jeff Akuda were getting beat. When they were run zone coverage, the linebackers uh, were just too stiff cinder block shoes to, to, cover anyone over the middle of the field. And I think as the, as the personnel has improved, um, you've seen some improvement, uh, in the results. And, you know, I I do think if they had better corners that people would think of him a lot more highly, uh, just as a defensive mind. So yeah, with, with Aaron Glenn, it's really just the fact that he's a defensive head coach is the one kind of negative for me. Sure. Okay, let's move on to these last three guys. Um, is it fair to say that this is kind of the line of demarcation where if they hired any of these three guys that we're about to talk about, you would be genuinely excited about them coming in to coach? Johnson, Callahan, and McDonald. Uh, yeah, I think that McDonald, again, just the defensive coach kind of thing of like, in seven years, are we going to end up in the exact same position? Um, right. That would right. be my concern. But um, as far as like what he would do defensively, yeah, I think that would be the line of uh, demarcation. So let's talk about that because obviously I, I want to talk about the things that make him different as a defensive coach candidate than the other guys that we've talked about so far. Um, just a background, 36 years old, primarily worked under Jim and John Harbaugh inherited this Ravens defense that was kind of in a tough spot when he started. Um, They led the league in sacks this season, which uh, is something that I think folks wouldn't have predicted based on the personnel that they had up there. Um, They got the one seed. The defense is the strength of of their team. That defense, they rank fifth in simulated pressure rate. Um, He does a lot of things that are... I I think that he's the one defensive coach that most fits the alluded to vision that this team, this, this ownership group has for the Titans going forward, the innovative, creative, collaborative guy. Is that the reason why he's so high for you as well? The reason he's so high for me is because I think he's um, one of the two or three best defensive coordinators in the NFL this year. Um, Mm. Probably, probably, you know, one of the, one of the two best in terms of uh, pressure design. Um, and, you know, just you look at the, you look not only at the personnel that they have on paper with guys like Jadavian Clowney, um, you know, Justin Matabike, uh, 
solid players, but not necessarily stars that are having um, star right. level seasons from a production standpoint. And then when you go watch them, like I did a video on, on Justin Matabike and I was trying to figure out how to frame it for like the Ravens fans who are going to watch it to where it didn't feel like I was where I didn't come off as like a hater. Yeah. But my conclusion was really like, yeah, this is kind of being schemed up for him. Uh, cause, um, you know, guys aren't really being asked to win as many one-on-one matchups. There's so many stunts, simulated pressures, uh, creepers, all that kind of stuff. And just really, um, multiple coverage philosophy. Uh, I think that as far, I think with the defensive personnel that the Titans have currently, I think he would be a good fit. Um, and then, you know, also, uh, heard good things about his leadership and, and off the field in the locker room, in the building, uh, type of stuff. Obviously that's a lot more, uh, a lot less solid of a evaluation point, um, with pretty much all these candidates though. Okay. Fair enough. Um, let's go ahead and move to these last two guys. And I think one of them is a, it sounds like genuinely a potential candidate for the Titans and one, like you said at the top, not super uh, expecting them to be in the race for him. Brian Callahan is your tier two guy. He is the offensive coordinator for the uh, Bengals. As you mentioned earlier, important to note, not actually calling plays. So there's a, a good bit of unknown in terms of what he would be. If he would be a guy that would come in and actually oversee the offense in that way, or whether or not he would bring in a, an OC under him to call the plays. But um, he was the first known candidate for the vacancy uh, reported by our guy, Justin Mello, which was cool. Doesn't call plays. Uh, Zach Taylor does that as the head coach, but Brian Callahan, Brian Callahan clearly instrumental uh, with the install of the red zone offense. And then the, the various responsibilities that, that he has in terms of helping the team, uh, helping the offense between games adjust and establish game plan and and do all of these things um that i i've been really impressed with uh, I, I think that he deserves a decent amount of respect and responsibility for jake browning being able to come in and do what he did this year um of course joe burrow has been really fantastic under callahan uh, as the oc he's been in football forever He's the son of a guy that a lot of folks will recognize, Bill Callahan, legendary offensive line coach, um, which if they came as a package deal, that'd be nice. Bring him in to be the uh, the offensive line coach for the Titans, and then they'd be cooking. Um, but he's been a part of a lot of really good coaching staffs. He's crossed paths with um, Eric Studsville, who's currently the Dolphins assistant head coach and running back coach, uh, Wink Martindale, John Fox, Ron uh, Miles, who's the Colts secondary coach. Frank Smith, who's the Dolphins offensive coordinator, Corey Undlin, who's the Texans defensive passing game coordinator, Bo Hargreed, uh, Hardegree, uh, Jim Bob Cooter, who's the Colts offensive coordinator, um, Chris Kokorek, who's the 49ers defensive line coach, Greg Olson, who's the Seahawks quarterbacks coach. Um, it's a, it's, that's not even all of them. That's a very long list. Um, but I, I think just uh, at f- the first thing that pops out to me, his ability to put together a quality staff is a big part of the reason why I think he's high on this list lifer ton of contacts i trust him to put together a really nice staff of coaches under him if he were to be the ga- be the guy um 
but tell me a little bit about what you've seen from him or what you think his contributions to this team is besides the fact he doesn't play calls or call plays. What is it about him that you want to put him so high on your list? I think that the, um, the ability to assemble a good coaching staff is a big part of that. Um, sure. Uh, Zach Lyons, uh, it's stacking the inbox does probably the best, like, um, most coaching profiles and like G yep. I remember last year with the GM <laughs> search, but he, uh, did a great job laying out all of the, uh, you know, connections across the league with, with, um, what he could potentially bring in as a coaching, uh, for his coaching staff. Um, so that's a big part of it. I think that, I've gone back and forth on the on the Bengals offense. I think that there are times that they similar to the Eagles where they kind of just rely on playing iso ball down the sideline, but it's also like I, I get why they would lean into that when you have elite one-on-one weapons on the works. outside. Right. And Brian Callahan's yeah. shown the ability when you don't have uh Joe Burrow or when T Higgins is injured uh, to adapt that scheme and change, which like adaptability is, is the biggest thing ahead of just knowing how to install the right scheme for 2024 adaptability and, you know, being able to change given change in circumstances. That's the biggest thing for an offensive, uh, orchestrator. Um, you know, I think that, I think it's, I think it's definitely possible to have continuity uh, year to year, as long as the kind of CEO of the offense stays in place, um, regardless of, of whether you're changing play callers. Uh, obviously mm. there is something for like sequencing and, and knowing when to press the right buttons, but you know, the week leading up to the game, like you're, you're pretty much laying everything out and, and uh, designing your play sheet and, the, the play caller doesn't really have as big of a role um, in kind of how the offense looks on Sundays. Right. And then I think, I think just being a player's coach and, um, and all of the, all of the reviews and reactions from, from people in the Bengals organization, people that cover the Bengals uh, there's a lot of just, uh, you know, people that have good things to say about him. So I think <clears throat> he's about as close as close to a, a can't miss candidate as exists. And, you know, even with that, there's, there's still a good chance that he ends up being a bad head coach. Um, that's how, that's how that I'm works. I'm yep. sure this whole thing is, but yeah, I, I feel pretty good about Brian Callahan. The couple of things on the field that have stood out to me the most with the Bengals. And again, I don't know exactly how much of an impact he's had on these things, but First of all, we've seen in the Joe Burrow era, um, him as a quarterback, and in, in turn, a lot of the way that they play offense, evolve a couple of times, and sometimes like in season. I think that from an adjustment standpoint, they've done a really impressive job, and I think that that coaching has to go into that some. And then, you know, especially early on in the Joe Burrow tenure, but kind of the whole time now, they've had success despite having some at times really, really bad offensive line play. And for the Titans in particular, that's what they're, if they're going to want to find success anytime soon, you're going to need to be able to do that some. And those things I think matter a lot for the Titans in particular in hiring a new coach. Uh, yeah, I remember 
let's see, 2022, like the first few weeks of the season, there was this big freak out about how like Joe Burrow can't beat cover two because he threw like a couple interceptions against cover two early in the season. And then they adjusted and, um, you know, ended up working out those kinks. And then, um, yeah, again, like what they did with Jake Browning, what they did with a rotating cast at receiver this year, I think that, um, I feel I feel pretty good about his ability to adapt to different situations. Okay, last guy, and then we're getting out of here. The, the obvious number one tier, uh, tier the number one tier one guy, uh, Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator for the Lions. Ben, a top or the top potential coaching candidate on the market for two years now. Um, had a chance to come out last year and turned down some opportunities. Um, kind of. His path, it wouldn't shock, like you mentioned earlier, it wouldn't shock me if Slowick tried to take a pretty similar tack and like go back again. Um, because he's got a lot of opportunities this year, but it wouldn't shock me if he he just didn't take anything that was offered to him. Ben Johnson, it sounds like he's going to take one this time. And the reasons why he are why why he are, man, it talking is hard for me today. The reasons <laughs> why he is the top candidate for a lot of guys, um, in large part has to do with the innovation and the way that the offense for that Lions team has really excelled for two years in a row now with a guy that I think everybody agrees is a pretty limited quarterback, but they got some really nice weapons. They do some really creative things. Uh, and I want to start the conversation on him here. Uh, and our, our good pal, Jared Stillman pushed back on you about this list you put out on Twitter, uh, or a couple of days ago, earlier last week. Um, in saying, asking the question, the open-ended question, what makes Ben Johnson so much more of a clear, good coaching candidate than a guy like Bobby Slowick, who he's very high on? And I wanted to give you the platform and the opportunity to lay out the difference between those guys as candidates and what makes one so much more clearly uh, a decent option than the other, in your opinion. Yeah, so I, I studied uh, the, the Lions offense pretty extensively this past summer. And then uh, I, I did an all pro video on my channel and I was watching like, I was watching Penny Sewell. Normally I do f- five games per player. I'm watching Penny Sewell and um, Frank Ragnow, the center. And I ended up just going through every game the from this team. season because oh, yeah. their run blocking was so dominant and I, I love watching a uh, good run blocking. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, watched about every snap uh every lines offensive snap for this um from the past two years and i think that um the number one thing that sticks out to me with ben johnson is how diverse and well designed the run game is um they have one of those schemes where everything kind of builds off of um you know every concept builds off of another concept um a lot of stuff that is designed to look the same, uh, but get to different spots, create a lot of eye candy hesitation for linebackers, especially they run a lot of trap and wham where you're uh, like leaving the defensive line unblocked, getting them into the backfield. And then you've got a linebacker or a tackle coming across and trap wham block um, creating those lanes. They run, uh, he's, he's one of the, one of the guys on the forefront of the counter, like blurring the lines between counter and duo, which is what the Titans uh, use pretty frequently where 
you're pulling a lot of players, but it's not necessarily offensive linemen. Uh, you're lining people, lining like fullbacks, H-backs up in the backfield, um, having them slant, slice across the formation. There's just a lot of movement pre-snap and in the first few seconds of the play. Um, but it's it's a really diverse run scheme. They run everything. Like they, they'll run uh, power where they pull the tackle. They'll run outside zone. Like they, they just throw the kitchen sink at you. It's all executed well. Part of that does come back to the fact that the Lions have a really good offensive line. Uh, so, you know, it, it's going to make everything look better. But uh, I think a really well-designed rushing offense. And then passing the ball, I'm, I've am i been really impressed with just – it's kind of like Bobby Sloak where like a lot of the best passing offenses are not in the NFL, are not really inventing – they're not inventing new things. Like – Hmm. Kyle Shanahan, uh, Sean McVay, they're just like running stuff from the nineties and they might add like another motion on it. And that like gets kind of manipulates the, the nickel backs leverage or something like that. But there's only so many different permutations of routes that you can have, uh, on, on the field. And so it's not necessarily like people are inventing new things, but, uh, just a lot of like, base concepts that I think are are really good for Jared Goff's skill set specifically because the one thing that he is comfortable with is like he will fire in the backside dig he'll stand in the pocket um mm. throw over the middle so they they do that a lot they also have really good more designer plays uh with like trick plays uh a lot of Sam Laporta's touchdowns this year have he like he's just been screaming wide open um they they actually they got him a couple touchdowns with the same Bobby Slowick, Tim Kelly, um, originally Kyle Shanahan. I'm sure someone else you know did that before them. Right. Or you, you fake the you fake the deep over or the post and then have him cut back the safety. It just has no way of sticking with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just like it's a it's a really well designed passing and rushing game. They use a lot of motion. They do a great job of. Uh, getting these hybrid tight end receiver types and uh, using them in different ways. Sam Laporta, have them line up in the slot, have them line up out wide, line them up in the backfield. Same thing with Jameer Gibbs. And when you look at guys like Tajay Spears, Chiga Conquo, Hello. and um, uh, people that have more like versatile skill sets like that, I think he could do a lot of cool things. Um, and then I would also, the last thing I would say with Ben Johnson is uh, – Dan Campbell has had uh, historically, he's been one of the best fourth down decision makers. Yes. Um, and, and time management just in general. Right. And so like even except for like going for it against the Cowboys where over aggressiveness, like, yeah, not under aggressiveness. My yeah. thing is like, I will take the over aggressiveness over. And that's such a bad, that's just, that, that was such a bad example. That's just being tilted. Like I get it. Everyone's done that on Madden. Yep. Um, and that obviously has more to do with Dan Campbell, but I would assume that Ben Johnson's at least in partial agreement with that philosophy. So, well, and even if the the philosophy, like philosophy aside, clearly he's, he's good at executing in an aggressive manner. You know, like he's got to dial up the play for when you're going for it on fourth and seven in your own territory. Any Uh, situation where it's not just like 
basic structure of the offense. And it's like, we've got to design, um, like I call them designer plays where it's mm-hmm. like, it's not just like we're running dagger, we're running outside zone. It's like, this is kind of a special situation. Like we're, we're targeting this safety. We got to get him, uh, you know, into a false step and like, do this, like he can, he can make stuff happen in those situations. Let me play devil's advocate real quick one last time. And it's, it's less devil's advocate and more just like, maybe it's my contrarian blinker going off my contrarian alarm being like, are you sure that everybody, because everybody seems to be rolling in the same direction on this guy. And for a lot of good reasons, but when you ask anybody that knows anything about these things, okay, why is Ben Johnson your number one candidate? The answers are always along the lines of, well, I mean, look at the offense, look at the the designer plays, look at the execution as a coordinator. And a lot of the discussion around him leaves out anything about the kind of leader he is, the kind of, you know, and again, th- this is where the guesswork comes in, knowing what he'd be like as a head coach, um, h- how his players feel about him, how the people in and around the organization feel about him as a guy that could be the one calling all the shots overseeing two coordinators underneath him. Do you have any opinion on, you know, maybe we're overlooking the fact that he could be the next wonderkin coordinator that just can't cut it as an actual head coach? Yeah, I, I get a lot of Brandon Staley, like flashbacks. Me too. Like I'm, I'm burned by that a little bit because, um, yeah, man, there's, there's, we keep saying it, but there's just so much more that goes into being a head coach than being good at calling one side of the ball. And like, once I was, I, I watched some Ben Johnson, like interviews and press conferences and was really impressed by his, uh, philosophy. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I thought with, uh, with Brandon. Brandon Staley. Staley. Luckily, like I don't, I didn't have any public, like Brandon Staley's going to, you know, Brandon Staley's revolutionizing football takes or anything like that. You didn't go full ringer. Well, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm clear on that front, but like, I remember just privately thinking like, Oh yeah, Brandon Staley, best, uh, best, uh, coaching candidate, um, on the market. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot of it is less to do specifically with Ben Johnson and more just kind of the, the standard, uh, thing that we've, the caveat that we've had with all of these candidates, which is that, you know, he could, he could have a, a real difficult time, like dealing with egos in the locker room or whatever it is. You know, I don't have any specific insight. Uh, we just, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. But, but yeah, but you, I, you, I, it's not, it's not like a sure thing by any means, but you, you hear little morsels. I mean, you, you, the most recent one I've heard is what you mentioned earlier in the episode where you said a guy in and around Detroit covering them as a beat reporter. He, he's coming out and saying, I think that the DC would be a better head coach than the OC. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing that just those start to accumulate in the back of your head and it, the, the alarm bells go off. So I, just, I think it ultimately it just goes to show there is no such thing as a can't miss guy. And no matter how good you are as a coordinator until you are a head coach and we like you, we see you try to do the thing. It's impossible to really know whether you can do the thing or not. I have one last question for you before we get you out of here. And you've been so generous, generous with your time today. So we appreciate that. Your list here. You got tier one, Ben Johnson, tier two, Brian Callahan. And Mike McDonald, I think, um, tier three, Aaron Glenn and Antonio Pierce, tier four, Kafka and Slowick, tier five, Dan Quinn, tier 90, Brian Johnson. Uh, yeah. Is is there a guy that the Titans haven't 
requested an interview with that if you could walk into St. Thomas Sports Park today into the C-suite offices and say, hey, you need to call this guy today. Like, why are you not asking this guy to be an interview candidate? Is there a guy that's like that for you that you'd really like for them to call? Yeah, I think, you know, after after looking at the scores from last night and seeing Tampa Bay score 32 points, I think um, you've got to include uh, their offensive coordinator, um, mm. Dave Canales. I'm kidding about the uh, the score from last night. But, right, right, right. But yeah, he wasn't on your list until 17 hours ago. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, He, he is, uh, I actually don't know like what his, uh, if he has any connection to the Shanahan tree, but it's a very similar uh, style offense. Uh, And I think like his, his work with Baker Mayfield and uh, Geno Smith is pretty impressive. He's a guy I would like to see them interview. Uh, Frank Smith, I believe, the, uh, the Dolphins OC. Dolphins OC. Um, another guy where it's like it's hard to tell when you have an, a play caller and then kind of a scheme designer like Mike McDaniel. It's, it's hard to tell who exactly uh, is responsible for, for their offense, but uh, he's another person that has just glowing reviews from everyone around him. Um, I'm surprised that he hasn't, hasn't gotten any interview, uh, right. nods. Um, and then I also, enemy, just like under a guy that's a stud offensive head coach and nobody knows why he gets no calls. Yeah. I would also include drew Petzing, uh, for the Cardinals there. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, heard a lot about him early in the year, folks being like, I love what they're doing. And then you, it, it kind of died off a little bit. Yeah. They, they just didn't win enough. Um, but I think the vibes were high. They were doing some, some cool stuff. It could be, I mean, it could be the head coach too, though. Cause I think they were doing a lot of cool stuff defensively with even worse talent on, on defense. Like one of the most talent, uh, barren rosters that you'll ever see. And, uh, they were at least hanging in there. I'm totally blank. What's his name again? The head coach in Arizona, Jonathan uh, Gannon. Um, yeah, Jonathan Gannon. So do you he's think good, Nick, he's a good is Nick Sirianni, a Jonathan Gannon, Shane Steichen merchant? Is that the ultimate take here after today's episode? Yeah. Jonathan okay. Gannon's a good reminder that vibes for head coaching candidates, sometimes, you know, evaluating based off of vibes can, uh, can bite you because. Well, him and, and Dan Campbell, the same, like everybody that you made fun of the summer of their hiring. And then it's like, whoops, we're, um, I would we're, throw Sirianni in there, but turns out he is just a goofball. I don't remember people making fun of Dan Campbell as much as Gannon. Like the, I know the, the knee biting, the kneecap biting interview got run for the whole summer. And so, like, it was a joke, but there was a lot of people being like classic Detroit. They got a goofball in there. It's not serious. Really? I didn't, I didn't uh, notice as much negativity. I, I wish didn't you notice would... it at the time, but I've seen in the past like months, some compilations of some very bad, very oh, public really? takes. Yeah, I wish he would have never done that because it's like there's a lot of people that think he's this meathead, like just dumbass because of that. When it's not really the case, like he's he's a smart guy. So he's he's just he runs on nothing but caffeine all day every day. Um, <laughs> to your question, by the way, on Canales, it looks like he's a, been a Pete Carroll guy like his whole life. He was with him at USC yeah. and then with him in Seattle forever, and then so yeah, okay. So I saw. Right. I saw an interview like a long interview with him on some bucks like 
podcast. Um, and he was actually going into a lot of detail. And uh, I, I like uh, if you just, if he becomes a candidate, you can just search like Dave Canales interview and it'll probably pop up, but he seems okay. like a really smart guy. All right. Well, James, thanks so much for your time today, man. Very generous with your time. Thanks for the insight That's as good. always. We, we love having you on. Um, we'll have to have you on again soon. You know, we got drafts coming up, but last year we did a great episode with you just kind of previewing the draft. So we'll do that in the coming weeks. Uh, what do you got going on over at the channel right now? Are you, you're already headlong into the draft, right? Yep. I just did a hour long, uh, three round Woo. mock draft. Uh, only had to re-record it one time with, uh, all the Ohio state people. Uh, oh, okay. I was like, what? Back into the, uh, or, uh, returning to school. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just firing out, uh, draft reports. I've actually, I'm, uh, I've getting a late start uh, on my work this week. I'm, uh, pretty busy early in the week. So, Probably nothing on the first round of the playoffs, but definitely going to do some breakdowns of the divisional round and conference championship. But yeah, uh, outside of that, it's going to be draft season and then uh, probably take a, a few weeks to do some free agent uh, targets. Yeah, the, the YouTube channel is awesome, but I got to hype up the the uh, draft tool you have on the A to Z website real quick because I, I know you started it last year. My understanding is you're doing it again this year, right? You're setting that up. Yeah. Is it already live with your yeah, initial live? It's it's my pinned tweet on uh okay. on X. Yeah. So yeah, guys, genuinely you should go check it out. It's one of the best draft guys out there. Um, it, you know, local coverage, support local guys, interactive draft guide with um evaluations on on different players. You can can't you you can sort by position and all of these different things. It's it's very cool. Yeah, he does a great job with it. Sort so. filter. Uh, click on the row and it's got their scouting report pulled up. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So go check out the, go check out the YouTube channel, A to Z film room, check out his, his pin tweet. He's got the, the draft guide set up on there. And uh, like I said, we'll have to have you on for a little draft primer episode in the coming weeks. But until then, James, thank you for your time. We appreciate you. Appreciate you producer JT being here as always. We'll be back Thursday, 5 30 PM central standard God's time talking about, I don't know, the playoffs or something, something crazy will happen between now and then we'll talk about it. Until then, uh, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Mm-hmm.